0: Welcome to The Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard, the podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business and career success. Build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's The Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Hello and welcome to The Boost Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Leonard. Today's episode features Susan Bork, Susan's years of experience at CBS and National Geographic in legal, And financial administration, and as a solopreneur, have provided extensive opportunities to hone the negotiation techniques that she teaches. The part of Boost that she addresses during our conversation is optimize relationships because the skills you use to negotiate effectively will help you to build better relationships. Let's tune in. Hey, Susan, welcome to the Boost podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I am excited to have you. You know, I, I know the work that you do at Bork Works around negotiations and, and really understanding how to really leverage negotiation in a way in business or maybe even in your personal life. I don't know. But for anyone that's that's tuning in and wants to know more about sort of what you do at Bork Works, just give us your background. Like, what do you do and what brought you to this work?
1: Well, well, let me ask you this, because this is kind of the question I ask I ask people, you know, Have you ever negotiated anything, Kelly? No, absolutely. Constantly. And and do you ever feel like you've left something on the table?
0: Oh, oftentimes, yes.
1: Well, I help with that. That's where my sweet spot is.
0: Wow. Well, you know what? And with that, I would love to just leap right in because what I find is right now, with COVID and just where we are this time and space as the business community, I find that so many people are negotiating so many in so many different ways, whether it's, you know, you've got um, offices that are brick and mortar buildings that are perhaps in discussions with landlords. And they're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm not making the kind of revenue that I used to make at one point in time. And so I would love to just find out from you, what are some of the, the, the strategies that you tend to see work really well in terms of negotiations?
1: Well, I think there are a couple things. One of them is to think about opportunities, mindset, and strategy. All right. So when I think about what are the opportunities to negotiate? And the fact of the matter is, is that an opportunity to negotiate arises whenever one person makes a request of another person. And anyone who has mostly adolescent children knows this is the case, right? It right. happens every yeah. time. Uh-huh. Now, as we know, also dealing with teenagers, that we don't, we don't have to negotiate every request. What's, what's interesting, though, is that what, as we feel pressed for time, we tend to respond to a request. We, we feel that the necessity to respond in a binary way. So somebody makes a request and immediately we feel we have to say yes or no. The, the fact of the matter is, is that if you pause, sort of overcome the anxiety of having to give an immediate definitive answer and think about what you want to know about this. So your your manager comes to you and, you know, or a client comes to you and says, you know, we need to do X. And you know that this is expanding the scope of whatever you're, you know, you were contracted to do for them. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, but you feel like, oh, my God, it's a client. I better say yes. It's being able to pause and say, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about this?
0: Mm.
1: You know, or what Help me understand what you're looking to do? Any of those things, because now you're going to you're going you're gonna to start getting information. And as you know, and I'm sure other people, you know, I, I've heard other people on the podcast. Information is power and it yeah. allows you to make decisions. Mm hmm. So the first thing is, is being able to recognize an opportunity to negotiate, make that pause and start asking questions. The next point I, I said is mindset. What's, what's, a, what's a negotiation mindset? And for me, a negotiation mindset is a problem-solving mindset. Most people think negotiations and approach negotiations in a competitive way, right? I said it Mm -hmm. to you, what are you leaving on the table? You know, what do you think you're leaving on the table? And everybody feels like somehow they've, they've left something on the table, Mm -hmm. which, you know, the the flip side of that is the implication that somehow their, their counterparty got something. Right, Right, right. That's just not always the case. We could both be leaving things on the table. And often that's exactly what happens. What happens is that we, we split the difference and we both end up leaving stuff on the table. So having a problem solving, if when I, in order to solve a problem, right, that means you and I have to talk to each other. We have to work together because if we didn't have to work together, we'd be working with someone else. You know, well, that's the, right. So bringing that to the table, I think is really important. And then the third thing I mentioned was was strategy. And what I mean is to contrast that to what most people do when they negotiate. They rely on their gut, their intuition. And some people have high emotional intelligence and they have good you know, instincts and intuition and they do things naturally and it serves them well in their negotiations. And that's terrific. The rest of us, for the rest of us, it's a skill. Okay, it's a skill and any skill is learnable. And you can improve if you have a lifelong learning and a continuous learning kind of mindset. Um, you, will, you will get better and better at it if you, you know, provided you invest in time and practice. So I like, I, I really want people to move from being a kind of competitive, intuitive negotiator to a problem solving strategic negotiator.
0: And all of what you said is really good. The, the thing, so a couple of things that I pull out of that, when you talk about emotional intelligence, because anytime I think of when I actively know that I'm going into a negotiation, like, okay, I've got a client call, for example, automatically this emotional toll that I, or this emotional process that I'm going through, how do I effectively kind of control my emotions, even going into the conversation when I know I'm about to enter? It's different when perhaps it's an unplanned negotiation right because that happens all the time too someone may just approach you it's unscheduled they're asking you a question and you feel like okay let me put my negotiation hat on but when i know that i'm going into a planned conversation around negotiation how do i really control my emotions because sometimes those are really tough conversations right right so i, I i'm i'm hearing what
1: you're what you're focusing on is there's a tough, a, a conversation that you feel is going to be tough, difficult for whatever, challenging for whatever reason,
0: mm-hmm. you have
1: anxiety mm-hmm. about that conversation mm-hmm. and possibly you're also concerned about how you're, re, how you'll be reacting during that conversation. Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I look at negotiations as having two phases, the preparation phase and the engagement phase.
0: Okay.
1: So preparation is what you do by yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and I think of that in terms of research and rehearse. Okay. And then the engagement is what you do with the other person. So that's kind of the relating side. Okay. And, and as you work your way around, think of a circle, as you work your way around a circle from research to rehearse, to relate. And then the last thing is reflect. Okay. Because after your your reflection on what just happened feeds into your preparation for the next iteration, because frankly, Yeah, there are lots of, there are certain transactions and negotiations that are one time only, but the ones that we have for the most part with our clients and suppliers, these are relationships. So we're, there's a continuous kind of negotiation process that occurs. Yes. That pre, that pre, pre game anxiety that you, that you identified, Mm -hmm. that's under, under the preparation and rehearse phase. Okay. And if you prepare effectively for a negotiation, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to reduce your anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I, I take people through a process of preparing for a negotiation, things they should cover, you know, and, and a lot of it has to do with yes, understanding what you need and want out of this, but really spending serious time on what you, what your best guess is and really thinking about what your counterparty needs. Mm. Right. I appreciate
0: yes. the fact that you said think about what your counterparty needs, because I think that, and you're probably going to be like, duh, it plays into what you said around the mindset of problem solving, and and that's distinguished from what they're going to tell you they want. So you want
1: to think about what they're going to say they want, right? Mm-hmm. But you also want to think about what is the underlying need that that mm-hmm. want nice has to has because that begins to open up opportunities in yes. in the whole process. Okay. The, then the, the, another aspect. When I talk about rehearsing, is is a couple of things. One is know know what your you know know your anxieties, right? So there are ways. How do you control anxiety? So, you know, do you exercise? Do you meditate? Do you do you contemplate? Do you pray? What are some of the things you do to you know manage your anxiety generally?
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: those you know, so that's part of your what pregame preparation.
0: Got
1: it. Another thing is to really think about what are your buttons. Mm-hmm. So I had when I worked at, at National Geographic Society, I worked with a colleague and I didn't I didn't work with him often. And and so I didn't have a lot of experience with him. And I would find that he was so patronizing when he spoke to me. And I and that was a button for me. So, first of all, I had to acknowledge, OK, he talks, he talks, you know, he's going to talk. He's going to patronize me. And I got to not show that that makes me nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was my first. That was stage one. Got it. Over time I did end up working with him more or I, you know I worked with him more on this particular in, you know transaction and I began to realize cuz I saw him in other contexts he what he, he, this is how he talks mm-hmm. so it had to do with an accent and a dialect you know it had to do with a a, a way he spoke and an accent not that he caught con- not that he patronized everybody cuz he mm-hmm. talked up that way, you know, so you don't, you don't ever talk up in an organization in a patronizing tone. So, you know, right. So right. this was just the way he spoke. So stage two, you know, my, then I went from saying, oh, he's patronizing me. I just have to control myself to thinking saying, okay, he's talking naturally for him. Mm-hmm. And I just have to filter. you know, I have to put in that filter that says, this is not patronizing. This mm-hmm. is just the way he talks and, right. he, and he's, and listen to what he's saying, because, you know, he's actually hearing you. Mm-hmm. Don't get in my own way, right? right? So that was, so kind of understanding, but understanding what your buttons are and and then having a plan, all right? That was, so that's the rehearse part. Mm-hmm. and And that rehearsal is sort of preparing yourself. The other side of it is, if this is gonna be a really difficult conversation and you're really, you know, concerned about the emotionality, yours and the other person's, mm-hmm. I would recommend that you do some rehearsal and you find someone who is willing to do that with you you know, a, 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 a friend, a, you know, mentor, somebody out of the situation, right? Who who will hold your confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And then when you do it, the first time, okay, the first round, and if that's your only round, this is why it should be the first one, is you play your counterparty. Hmm, okay. And And you brief the other
0: person to play you. Okay. Now, why do you think I want you to do that? Because it's part of you putting... It's understanding the other person's perspective, perhaps. Exactly.
1: And even though, right, even though we sit and we say, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about what they want and I'm thinking about, you know, their needs. It's when I'm asking you to actually play them. Right. That you're going to really put yourself in their shoes.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) So, So that's part of, so you've got the preparation and then the actual engagement. And then you said the circular process of rehearse, relate, reflect. So in this circular process, is the idea to then also spend time debriefing in this reflection what you did well, what you could improve upon? And is there a practical strategy or way to engage another party, kind of like what you talked about with the rehearsal part. Is there a way to engage another party in the reflection stage? Because part of, I think, the challenge that we sometimes have when we play out scenarios or even when we reflect on scenarios, we think we heard what we heard, but that may not actually be what happened. And so unless a person was actually there to experience the conversation, how well are we able to, or what strategies can you offer us to prepare us for an effective reflection? That makes sense. Absolutely, and you're right.
1: It's really difficult. This is this is one of practice and discipline. So finding all those ways to create new habits and every you know there are lots of people who specialize that and have developed very different ideas. Um, there's a book called Atomic Habits. Um, I think by uh, James Clear, I think, and uh, Charles Duhigg wrote a book about habits. Mm-hmm. He was, he, he did, he was earlier. Um, one of the things that Atomic Habits does is it does a really good job of like bringing all sort of, it, you know, all the writing that's been done on habits in the last 10 years mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, bringing it into one place. So that, that's why it's a good book because different things work for different people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That what I try, what I tell people though, the habit I want them to, to adopt. Is that the minute they hang up the phone, the minute they, you know, log off of the close that end meeting button, the minute they walk out of the meeting room, they spend three minutes, five minutes, no more. What just happened? Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you, so when you, you just to get in the habit of saying what just happened, what, you know, what, and, and be able to think again, if you've done your preparation and you have. You, I, I I say that people should have think you know their preparation written down because mm-hmm. when you have your preparation written down, a you're not you're you're you are not you are you do not you are not using bandwidth trying to remember it, right, right. So you so now you can be more present. And again, who are you going to focus on then?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, true. Who who are you going to yeah. focus on?
0: Well, I would think you would focus on the other part because you kind of exactly. already know what you're. Yeah, so.
1: Yeah. So now you've more bandwidth to focus on that, on your counterparty. Mm-hmm. And and the third thing is you've got a place to take notes. Mm-hmm. So now when you walk out, right, you've got something to look at and put more notes on, right. That act of writing down is important, even though we, or, and even if it's all digital, you know, so you've got it on your iPad or whatever you sit down and start, you know, put some notes on your, on that document. The point is, is you're putting notes and you, you, you'll know, I mean, you may walk out of that meeting, you know, maybe you got surprised, mark down what surprised you, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you told a joke and it fell really flat. You know, you better make a note of that because you have some relationship repair you you need to do before you go to the next session. You know, maybe you, you got a nugget of really interesting information, write it down, you know, and that's the reflect because when you capture that right after right? Because immediately, you know, all the experiments done with eyewitnesses, the further away from the event, the more inaccurate their recollection. Mm, yes.
0: Well, Susan, in these last few minutes together, I would love to ask you, because so much of what we're doing right now in interacting with counterpart is online, it's virtual, right? So we're in Zoom, we're in Teams, we're in all these different spaces. Are there certain like what's one or two things that you would say, like if you're about to enter into a negotiation and you've got to do it virtually, by all means, make sure these things are in place. Like right off the top of my mind, I'm thinking, well, if the other person doesn't have their camera, look into their eyes to kind of read their body language and things like that. So what are a couple of things that you're like, these are must have things that perhaps a person needs to consider as they're engaging with other people online in a negotiation? I would say one thing is that um, it's gonna take longer. Mm.
1: It just does. I think, I think everything online takes longer. Okay, uh, And you wanna slow down. So knowing it's gonna take longer, just, just, just kind of slow things down a little bit. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, you know, make sure your, your systems all work. You've mm-hmm. good lighting, you've good sound, so mm-hmm. people can see you. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as is able. Now, here's here's an irony. You wear glasses. I can see your eyes. I wear glasses. You can see my eyes. Right. Last year, when I had the pair of glasses that I'd had for four years, and the and the film had started deteriorating, you couldn't see my eyes. So no. <laughs> it was interesting because you know there are right. people like tilt your glasses. I did all that. It didn't work. It was that I needed like clean glasses without a film on them. Right. Uh huh. So, um, and I would say the third thing is, you know, you may need. And this is true, even in any negotiation, you may need to negotiate some of the negotiate, you know, how you're going to go about this negotiation. Hmm. So if somebody, you know, has their video off, you may need to find out, you know, kind of feel out more what's going on. Maybe they have a lousy, you know, they just have bad connectivity, right? You know, and at that point, maybe you're better off moving to the telephone. Who knows, right?
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Susan. If someone's listening in and they want to learn more about you or the work that you do or just hire you, because I know this is negotiation is not something that we're all like sort of naturally born knowing that I believe we all need to work on and continuously build and exercise. What's the best way for our listeners to find you, connect with you, engage with you?
1: So the best that either you can, you can come, there's a contact page on my website, which is my, my company name, Bork, my last name, B-O-R-K-E works.com. And I think you put that in the show notes. Um, You can also reach me on LinkedIn. So Susan Bork. Um, So those are the best kind of the best ways to reach me.
0: Awesome. And that will also the link to Susan's LinkedIn profile will be on the show notes as well. And please be sure to let her know that you heard her on the boost podcast. Susan, Thank you so much again for your time and for the work that you do. Um, We appreciate you. Well,
1: thank you, Kelly. I think, I think what you do with the boost podcast is so vital and and really useful. I mean, you really have such wonderful guests. I'm honored to be included. Thank you very much.